0: I'm Jonathan Lederman, Professor of uh, Medical Oncology at UCL Cancer Institute in London, UK.
1: Can you summarise what we've heard today about this study that Kathleen Moore has just been presenting?
0: SOLO1 is the first study that's been performed with the PARP inhibitor Olaparib in first-line treatment of patients with ovarian cancer. We know that uh, Olaparib and other PARP inhibitors are very successful in delaying disease progression in patients with recurrent disease, Um, but this trial tested maintenance Olaparib in front-line setting after surgery and chemotherapy, and that was the unique aspect of this trial. It was done in patients with a BRCA mutation. Those are the patients who are likely to derive the greatest benefit
1: could you tell me a little bit about the study because it was quite long, it took a long time, but the results are quite clear, aren't they?
0: So the study randomized patients to either a laparib maintenance therapy or placebo following the end of chemotherapy and the primary endpoint was the measurement of progression-free survival. Now patients with a BRCA mutation tend to have a better uh, outcome than other patients and so it took a while for the progression events to come through. But when patients were followed up for um, a minimum of three years, the analysis was done and it showed that at that point, uh, three years, 60% of the patients on laparib remain uh, free of progression, where it was about 26%, which is what one might expect in the placebo arm. So that's a very big difference and it was reflected by a hazard ratio of 0.3 in favor of laparib.
1: Now, patients who have the BRCA mutation are clearly the better candidates for PARP inhibition, but it's possible to use it and conceivable that in the future it might be used in other patients too, isn't it?
0: I hope that uh, we'll be able to extend this type of treatment to patients without a BRCA mutation. Certainly in the recurrent disease setting, it's been quite clear that PARP inhibitors are effective in patients who don't have a BRCA mutation. The magnitude of benefit is less, and there are now trials going on in the first-line setting examining PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy uh, in the non-BRCA population. So we'll have to wait for the results of these trials before we can be sure that this is a treatment that's applicable to a broader group of patients.
1: Now, in view of the findings from this Phase 3 SOLO-1 trial, what would you say uh, are the changes that might take place in therapy or, or that you might encourage busy cancer doctors to consider?
0: Well, I think this is a landmark study, and I think that really uh, laprib now will become a treatment of choice for first-line treatment of patients with a BRCA mutation. There are, of course, some challenges ahead, principally to make sure that patients have a BRCA testing at diagnosis. And the importance of that is that uh, often patients are treated first line with a combination of chemotherapy and bevacizumab. And if a patient has a BRCA mutation, then it's likely that the clinician will advise the patient not to have bevacizumab but to have a laparib at the end of chemotherapy. And in order to make that decision, the physician will need to know the results of the BRCA test before the patient starts chemotherapy.
1: What about tolerance? It seems to have been quite good.
0: The side effect profile of Olaparib in this solar one study is very similar to the uh, Olaparib studies we've done in recurrent disease in terms of the percentage of patients uh, requiring a dose reduction and the percentage of patients discontinuing therapy uh, because of toxicity. It's around about 12% of patients are unable to manage the continuation of treatment because of toxicity, which is really a relatively small number.
1: There's an interesting finding that, uh, per protocol, you gave two years of laparib, But, in fact, uh, there was a thought that it might be necessary to use more. But this thought wasn't justified, was it?
0: Well... There are about 10% of patients on the trial who continued beyond the two years, and that was allowed through a protocol amendment in patients who had visible disease at the end of uh, ser- uh, at the end of chemotherapy, uh, and indeed who had some abnormalities on their scan while they were on rib. And so that was a group that has continued rib, and are still many of those patients are still still taking the drug now. Um, so for those patients, I think people have been reluctant to stop the drug. But for the majority, uh, the drug was stopped at two years, and interestingly, the survival curves, or the progression-free survival curves, don't seem to have come together after that time point.
1: So what do you think might be happening?
0: Well, it's intriguing to think that these patients might actually be cured, and of course we'll need to wait for the survival data to be sure of that, um, why that's happened and whether it's that the alaparib has actually eradicated tumour cells or whether some other process such as an immune response has taken over and kept those patients uh, free of progression remains to be seen and is certainly something that needs to be investigated further.
1: And uh, progression free survival is significantly better. You've got hazard ratios of 0.3 or 0.5 depending on how you measure the hazard ratio. What do you make of this and especially in terms of overall survival? Well
0: One of the ways of trying to get at early data, if you like, for overall survival is to measure an endpoint called the PFS2. That's the time to the second progression. Because what is important is that you have a drug or a treatment that improves progression-free survival, but then when the patients go on to the next line of treatment, uh, can't tolerate the drug, and the survival curves therefore come together, it wipes out the benefit that you've just seen. So you want to be sure that at least further down the line, after the next line of treatment, until the next progression, you still see a maintained difference. And that was seen in this SOLO1 study. The hazard ratio of the PFS2 was 0.5. It's a surrogate endpoint for overall survival. And it was one that's been accepted by the uh, EMA as a a co-regulatory endpoint in situations where the overall survival data are going to be a long
1: time coming. So far, it's good news for patients with BRCA1 and 2 who are treatable with this drug. What about the others?
0: Well, we haven't really seen any uh, significant improvement in the first line uh, treatment of ovarian cancer for almost two decades. So for this group of patients, it's a big step forward. What we now need to focus on are the non-BRCA patients and the results of trials with PARP inhibitors and indeed with the immunotherapy drugs, but specifically here with the PARP inhibitors in the non-BRCA group, have been done they haven't yet been analyzed and we eagerly await those results
1: so could you sum up the clinical implications of this new study well i think what's clear now is that certainly for
0: patients with a BRCA mutation uh, a lap maintenance in in the first line setting is becoming or will become a standard a new standard of care for patients with recurrent with with first-line treatment of ovarian cancer Uh, and we're just going to have to wait for uh, further data, further trials, to know whether that uh, is applicable to a wider group of patients.
1: And what's the brief take-home message for cancer doctors? I think it's very important that we test
0: patients for a BRCA mutation at diagnosis so that we can make sure that we can identify those patients who are suitable for a a LAPRIB and then, of course, be able to access the drug uh, in our individual countries so that patients can then receive it at the end of surgery and chemotherapy.